All right, we are in our series called Sweet Dreams. We started this off last week and Phil did a great job of talking about how God initiates sweet dreams inside of us. And, 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 and what we're doing right now, actually throughout this entire year, is we're looking at who is God. What is the character of God? But we're not just doing theology because theology without practicality is merely words. And it has nothing to do with our lives. If, if, whoever God is, if it doesn't impact our life, it's worthless. It's worthless. And so we're looking at who God is, but, but, but how he comes and he impacts and he forms our life. And really, our first series was formed, but in a lot of ways, this entire year could be labeled formed. And when I mean year, I mean uh, September to September, the, more of the, 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 the school year type uh, type. type. Uh, deal because I mean we celebrate January 1st but those of us with kids we all know that the year starts when school starts <laughs> so uh, so that's that's kind of how we uh, do things around here especially thematically and and in uh, last week where we looked at how God initiates sweet dreams and the, and the character of God that we're looking at is that God is sovereign or that God is in control of everything but 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 we're not just like just little puppets just you know marionette puppets going around that doesn't that isn't what it means that God God is in control because, again, theology without practicality would leave us just puppets. Would leave us just puppets. But we see that God's in control, but how does that influence and infect our life and, and, and inform our life? And we saw that last week that God initiated sweet dreams or a dream inside of Joseph. And a lot of times when we receive a dream, when we get that first idea of a dream, we're like so excited and we're so pumped and, and, and we want that dream to happen right now. I think that's what happened to Joseph. Here Joseph was and, 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 and we're used to get, uh, hearing that he had a coat of many colors. And it's probably really not that. It was probably, it was probably more, more of a long-armed robe. It was a kingly robe. That's what kings wore, robes that, that came down. And those of you that, that have taken, uh, gone to college or gone to master's and, 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 and done, uh, done education uh, higher than like, you know, high school, you know, you've experienced that the convocation, when all the old guys with, with long robes covering their arms, you know, all the way down, should walk in and they're all serious and everything and you're just like, what's going on here and, and all this. And, and, and that's the type of robe that Joseph had. It was a kingly robe. And here Joseph, being the young bratty brother that was daddy's favorite, walks up and says, hey guys, I had this cool dream. You bow down to me. And I think that there was something in the back of Joseph's mind like, you're going to bow down to me right now because here I am standing here in a kingly robe and you're going to bow down to me. And, and isn't that going to be so cool? And those of your other, older brothers are going, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. Some of you maybe have had that live out in real life. I don't know. But, you know, your own family issues is your own family issues. But... God, I think Joseph expected this dream to happen immediately. And dreams a lot are, are, are kind of like when, when you leave here and, 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 and you're going to go on that ski trip in, in, in the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And you're jazzed and you're pumped and you go up and you go through Kansas City and you get on I-70 and you start rolling through Kansas. And you're an hour and a half into Kansas. And you roll through Topeka, and then you realize that there's nothing else out there. <laughs> and you're like, this is God's great green earth? And you keep rolling, and you keep rolling, and you keep rolling, and you're still in Kansas, Toto. <laughs> and then you pass the Colorado border. And almost immediately after you pass the Colorado border, you see him, right? You see him. You see the mountains. You see the mountains off in the distance. You're like, ah, oh, you start getting excited again because you're seeing the mountains. You're not just the plains. You got the mountains. You got the mountains. You got the mountains. They're out there and you're excited. They're coming. But you keep rolling and you keep rolling and they don't get any bigger. And you keep rolling and you keep rolling. And dreams are a lot like that. 
you see them and you want them to get here and you want them to come but the more you roll the more you think are they ever going to get here are they ever going to get here? Are they ever going to happen? And that's what happened. That's what happened to us. I mean, since 2007, I mean, we, we had a dream to, to, to go plant a church in Syracuse, New York, that, that in our language streamed non-fans to God. And, and it didn't work. And it seemed like the more we rolled, the more we wanted to get close to it, and the more we wanted to get, get to it, the further we got away. And for some of you, you've had a, a dream or a vision or a a passionate something that's inside of you, some sort of ember, maybe for, for years, maybe since you were, you were a wee bit of, little bitty kid. But you've almost given up on because the plains of Kansas are just so boring. I call it Project Plateau, that the initial excitement of Seeing it propels you, and then you get into the day-to-day work. And all you look out and see is nothing. And you're like, did God really speak to me? Did God really initiate anything? What happened? And we give up because we can't see the end. See, before God moves on the dreams He has for us, He has to prepare us for Him moving. And for Joseph, it was the same exact way. Now, we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. Jared, buckle your seatbelt. We're in for a lot. We're, 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 I mean, I've got to move fast, which is all of you are like, oh no, if you think you've got to move fast... So I'm a bit jazzed this morning, and then I've got racy stories to talk about too, so I don't know where we're going to end up, all right? <clears throat> so we're going to be in Genesis 37. We're going to start in, in verse 12. You can follow along in the, in the YouVersion app. In fact, that's what I'm going to do this morning is, is I'm going to be following along in the YouVersion app, and, and our Wi-Fi code is here to serve if you don't want to use data plan or, or whatnot, but you can open up your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen. I think they're going to have them if Lydia can keep up with me. So <laughs> if, if, if you look back and there's a smoke coming from that room, just pay no attention. We're, we're all good, all right? Um, so <clears throat> Genesis thirty-seven twelve. Soon after this, and this is, this is you know, everything that just, just, I just talked about, that Joseph getting the dream, and Joseph telling the dream, and, and the brothers being jealous, and the brothers being angry, and the brothers just you know, not liking Joseph. Soon after all of this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Say that five times fast. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go. I mean, this is the good daddy's boy brother, right? Like, get ready to go. I'm ready, father. Right? You know, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go and see how your brothers and the fox are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob went, sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home on the Valley of Hebron. If you've been following along in Genesis with us, and, and we've got the, 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 the cheat sheets here that, that give you a reading plan through Genesis. If you've been following along in Genesis, you read about Shechem this week. You read about Shechem, and you read about the, 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 the history of, of Joseph's brothers that, that they had with Shechem. And here's what happened at Shechem. Joseph's brother had a sister named Dinah. And Shechem, the person, because in that, in that day, daddies, uh, dads uh, formed cities, and, and what they would do is they would name them after one of their sons. And so, and so the dude, Shechem, saw Dinah, and, and, and Shechem raped Dinah. And with, you know, Jeff Foxbury said you might be a redneck if you ever had to have climbed to the top of a water tower to defend your sister's honor. They didn't climb to the top of a water tower. They devised a plan. 
So Shechem came in, and, and, and him and his dad came in and, and talked to, talked to um, Jacob and the brothers and said, I, w- I want to marry, marry Dinah. And, 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 and the brothers said, no, we, we, don't, we don't let our sisters and our daughters be married to, 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 to guys like you because you're not one of us. Here's what you need to do in order to get uh, Dinah in marriage. Here's what you need to do. You need to be circumcised, you and all the males of your town. Shechem's like, good deal for me. So he went back home and he got him all the men of the town around and, and said, hey guys, 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 I'm going to marry Dinah. And in order for me to do that, you have to get circumcised. How did that conversation go, right? Like, like I mean, you know, anyway, how did that just roll down? They're like, oh yeah, okay. Like, so they all did. Two of the brothers... Two days later, and the Bible says this, while they were still sore, went in with swords and killed all the men of the town. And then the rest of the brothers, the other nine brothers, walked in after that and then pillaged the town and stole all their stuff. And Jacob's like, you just made us a stench in their, in their nostrils. And, and, and the brothers were like, but should we just let our, our sister be treated like a prostitute? Which, uh, that's a really good question. And so here, here the brothers have gone back to Shechem, and Jacob's like, hey, Joseph, uh, why don't you go and see if they're burning anything down? And report back to me. And we've already established and earlier on in the chapter that Joseph was a narc. He loved this role. And so he went to Shechem, just like his good old dad said for him to do. And when, they, when he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around from the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are, pasturing the sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they saw him in the distance. They recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Let's kill this guy and kill the dream that he has with him. Here comes a dreamer, they said. Come, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father our wild animals eating him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dream. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he, claimed to jo- he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Cisterns then, there was like wells without tapping into the water source. And so they would draw from the well and then put the water into a cistern, uh, which was a hole dug down with a, just a humongous vase in it. And so let's just throw him in this cistern, this, this tight, narrow cistern. And we talked about cat scans a couple weeks ago. I mean, it would be like that. Let's just throw him in the empty cistern. Then we'll, he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school and you, you're used to this story, kind of Reuben's kind of made out a little bit of an older brother looking out for his younger brother, Hero. Reuben's the oldest brother of the, of the lot. And so, so, but I don't think that's what's happening here. First of all, he's an older brother, so he's kind of responsible for all the rest of his brothers, and they just plundered and pillaged the town. But tucked away in one of the chapters that we read this week, we see Reuben has another strike against him with a good old dad. Reuben had sex with his father's concubine. So Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah, and each wife gave, gave, gave Jacob their maidservant in order to have more kids with. And so Reuben, at some point in time, said, I want that. And had sex with his father's concubine. I mean, maybe when you were going up, some of you and your buddies were sitting around and maybe you let something slip like your mom's hot and that got awkward real fast, you know? But I mean, imagine all the guys sitting around and Reuben goes, your mom's hot. And you're like, I'm your brother. I mean, how did that conversation go, right? And so, so and, then, and then dad finds out and like, right? There's no category for this. And so Reuben is like, I know how to get on Pop's good side, right? I'll save his goody-two-shoe son. 
Reuben's not the nice little older brother looking out for his younger brother. He's looking out for himself. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then he grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There's no water in it. Okay, <clears throat> Joseph was a spoiled brat. Do you think he was just like, do 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 I'll go into the cistern, all right? No, he was crying and screaming and whining. You know this, right, older brothers? Your whiny younger brother wouldn't stop. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, I mean, this is how callous they were. Joseph is crying in the background, and they're eating a ham sandwich. I'm like, hey, this is good. How's your roast beef? You know, like, Subway's all right, you know? Do I? Uh, hush, that's not important. <laughs> then they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders... There's, there's, yeah, pre-law, pre exactly, exactly. Oh, there's going to be more questions that you have during the sermon. So <laughs> it was a group of Ishmaelite traders uh, taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah, the third in line, said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We're not going to gain anything out of this. We'd have to cover up the crime. I mean, that'd just be all nasty. We'd have to cover it up. We'd have to get the bleach out and all this. You know, CSI might show up and, you know, Gil and all of that. That's just bad. And so instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into the slave trade. After all, he is our brother. Isn't that what brothers do? They don't kill each other. They just sell each other in a slave trade. Our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were the Midian traders, come by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of their cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. We're like, where's Reuben? We don't want to know after his bio, right? When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone! What will I do now? The brothers killed, then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in his blood. They sent the, the beautiful robe to the father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? I mean, they're diabolical geniuses, right? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Like, they told him without telling him, right? Like, let the father come to own, his own conclusion. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say. Then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite tra traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was a captain of the palace guard. The first thing that God can do in order to prepare us is sell us out. And he doesn't do that. People do that. That's what he did with Joseph, that his, his brothers sold him out. You know, you had the idea that somebody sold you out for the idea and they got the credit. It was your body but he sold you out that when he was done with your body, just threw you to the curb. You're the one that refused to cheat, but your friends sold you out. You know, what do we do? What do we do? We see Joseph. He was sold out. What do we do? Here's what we've got to know first. We have our cheat sheets, and we have an outline there, but you probably want to write some other things down on the back. Here's what we need to know first. That God's going to use just simply ordinary circumstances in an extraordinary way. See, in Joseph's life, in Joseph's life, we need to see no supernatural miracles. We don't see Red Sea parting. We don't see plagues. We don't see the sun stopping, we don't see earthquake, we don't see anything supernatural. All we see is a set of very ordinary circumstances that God uses in extraordinary ways. And in fact, if it weren't for the narrator, every once in a while coming back and saying the Lord was with Joseph, we'd wonder, is the Lord with Joseph here? And we've probably wondered the same thing about ourselves when we're going through the preparation time. Is the Lord with us? And so here, very ordinary circumstances. I mean, 
very ordinary circumstances. He was sold into the slave trade and then the slave traders sold him to, to Potiphar who was the captain of the guard. He was in charge of all the jail system and, and all the guards in the Egyptian jails. So he, he was sold into a high, high ranking official in Egypt and got to be in this home and see how everything worked. In him being sold out, God placed him exactly where he needed to be. God's going to use very ordinary circumstances in extraordinary ways, extraordinary ways to prepare us, including possibly being sold out. So where everything inside of us wants to give revenge, we just know, you know what, God's going to use very ordinary circumstances in extraordinary ways. I'm going to skip over chapter 38 um, that's a sex-filled chapter if you're interested. Bible is not family-friendly. You don't just sit down with your little bitty kids and start just start reading. <laughs> All right? It doesn't work like that. It's, it's more, in this story in particular, it's more like Desperate Housewives meets Revenge meets Scandal. And at, at times five. Like ABC wouldn't even touch it, right? It's more of an HBO or, or, or Showtime or Skinamax, you know, sh show. But 38 is, is there to compare Judah's character against Joseph's. And then we pick it back up in 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. The narrator is bringing us back to the story and, 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 and telling us where he was. And that Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. As soon as he made Joseph his personal attendant, he put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owed. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. The only decision Potiphar ever had to make was when he stood in front of his fridge and decided chips and salsa or Rotel. That's the only decision. Yes, I know, Lydia, they didn't have fridges back then, alright? <laughs> We're all good with that, okay? But... But that's the only decision that Potiphar ever had to make. Everything else, Joseph made the decision. And Potiphar gave this over to Joseph because he saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that when with that Joseph flourished. And so because of that, by proxy, the Potiphar flourished and all of his livestock and all this stuff, all of it grew and all of it, he got, he got rich and everything because Joseph was in, his, in charge of his household. And he saw all this. And knew it. And then, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Joseph was about 17 probably when he was sold. And, and, and it was probably a few years later that we're picking up the story. So he's like 20 or 21. You know, he's a well-built and good-looking young man. He's tan. And you know, Egyptian, I mean, we've seen the movies, right? They don't wear any clothes. And so he's like, you know, and tan and, 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 and good-looking and, and, and 21. And, you know, he's like a, he's like a frat boy. He's like a frat boy. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. I mean, when was the last time you ever heard of a frat boy turning down their hot professor's wife? We've seen those movies, right? 20, 21-year-old man Frat boy, well-built, tan, doesn't wear a lot of clothes, usually goes out without a shirt. Hormones going crazy. And then Potiphar's wife, 
I mean, he was a high-ranking official. I'm guessing she wasn't a B-lister, folks. I mean, come on, fellas, let's be honest. You dreamed of this when you were 20. Maybe just having the body, I don't know, but... What does Joseph do? We know the story, right? But Joseph refused. Look, he told her. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you. Like, I get to make all the decisions here except for you. All right? I have no jurisdiction there. Because you are his wife, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept her, kept out of her way as much as possible. Like, he's like, he's trying to avoid her, like, staying out of the same wing of the house, and, and all of this, and, he, and, and God, I mean, come on, this dude's 21, well built, he's sexy, and he knows it, she's sexy, and she knows it, and also, you don't have to dig deep in the, in the history of slave trade to know that it was expected that if your master said, you did. Do the dishes, do laundry, do me. It's all the same request. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do this. It's wrong against my master. It's wrong against God. But she kept coming after him and coming after him and coming after him. He's like, no, 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 no. I mean... So I'll find it dandy to say no once, right? But to keep saying no? Here's what Joseph knew. Maybe you want to write this down. Not sinning doesn't mean, doesn't equal not doing bad things. It's not what not sinning is. Not sinning it's keeping our relationship right with God and not short-circuiting what God is doing in our life. That's what not sinning. See, when we make sinning about doing good or not sinning about doing good or, or not sinning about not doing bad, when we go there, we become legalists. Look how good I am. But when not sinning, is about not ruining the relationship I have with God and, 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 and not ruining what He wants to do in my life. That's when we get it right. And that's when we find grace. And that's when we say, yeah, it's not about me. It's not about my morality. It's about what God wants to do in my life. And it takes, and it takes the vision to another level. It's knowing that God has a dream for us, a vision for us. He's planted something in us, and we don't want to short-circuit it. And I utilize the term short-circuit because we know that God uses jacked-up people, right? I mean, come on, we're all sitting here. Joseph was jacked up in his own way. He struggled with pride, right? But at the same time, that's 100% true that God uses jacked up people because all of us are jacked up. But it's also 100% true that sin short circuits what God really wants to do in us. And that not coming into temptation is about not wanting to short circuit. See, God can still do it. God can still do it. The energy can still flow through something that's short circuited. But... It doesn't flow as well, right? We slow it down. We make it harder for it to go through. Could God still, and would God still, have fulfilled the dream in Joseph's life if he would have fallen? Absolutely. But it would, have, would it have looked differently? Absolutely. So not falling into temptation, not going there is about not short-circuiting what God wants to do and not short-circuiting the relationship that He wants to have with us. Then we know, we know the story, right? She kept going and then one day everybody was out of the house and she grabs his cloak and he runs off and 
she screams. My husband has brought this Hebrew slave, and Hebrew slave is a derogatory, usually when it's used in the Bible, it's meant as a derogatory slave term. We have none of those in our country, do we? Here to make a fool of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When, I, when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. God prepared Joseph, and God prepares us through character assassination. We, we did rebuff her coming on to me. But because it got into a he said, she said, I was fired. I didn't cheat. I kept my eyes on my paper. But they said that I did. So I got the F and was expelled from school. I told my co-workers, no, that's not the way you do things. I, I didn't rat on them. I didn't whistle blow. I just, I just put my head down and I did, I did the books the way they needed to be done. Because the other guys didn't like it, I ended up getting fired. I mean, maybe we've been there. Maybe we've been assassinated. Our character's been, been assassinated. Something happened because of it. God's preparing us. God's doing what He needs to inside of us. And we do the same thing Joseph did. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. Remember, ordinary circumstances, extraordinary outcomes. And there he remained. See, but there is something a little bit think about this? I mean, this dude's the captain of the guard. He's probably just a mean, evil, nasty, buff, strong dude. If he would have just pushed Joseph off the balcony, nobody would have said boo about it. But he threw him into prison instead. Either he knew his wife, or there's something about Joseph. He's just like, something just doesn't add up here. So we threw him into prison instead. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Here's, here's, you write this down. Here's what maybe what you came for this morning. God doesn't care about our circumstances. He cares about us. It doesn't matter to him what circumstances we're in. What matters to him is us. What circumstance that Joseph was in, God didn't care about that. God cared about Joseph and made Joseph succeed in whatever circumstance he was in. God doesn't care about our circumstance. He cares about us. And that's a big difference because we whine and complain about our circumstances, right? God, you did this, and God, I'm here, and God, why did, God, I'm being good, and why does bad things happen to good people, and where, 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 circumstance, 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 circumstance. What does God care about? Us. So whatever circumstance we are in, He can and will care for us. That's what He did for Joseph, and that's what He'll do for us. Sometime later, turning the page into chapter 40, sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Ordinary circumstances. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was. Ordinary circumstances. In the palace of the captain of the guard. Ordinary circumstances. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph. Ordinary circumstances. Who looked after them. Joseph just kept working. What do we do when we're in the preparation phase? Keep working. That's what Joseph did. Wherever he was, he kept working wherever he was. Just keep working. What do you do right now when you're in the pre preparation phase? You keep working. Wherever you are, you keep working. Just keep working. Keep moving. 
While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night. Ordinary circumstance. And each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw, the next, saw them the next morning, he noticed that they looked upset. Ordinary circumstance. Why do you look so worried today? He ta- asked them. And they replied. We both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us why, what they mean. I mean. We're starting to see something happen. Extra, extraordinary happen out of all these ordinary circumstances. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph the dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I am here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. All right. It's okay to want out of your situation. It's okay to find opportunities to get out of your situation. What's not okay is to freeze. It's not okay to sit on our butts and whine about our situation. Now, I'm sure Joseph had those nights, right? Those nights that he stayed awake and wondered when he was going to get out. But what did he do? He kept working. Woke up the next morning and kept working right where he was. But when the opportunity arose, he's like, Hey, bro, remember me. When you get out of here, hey, just put in a word for me, bro. Come on now. Just, just a little one. It's okay to want out. It's okay to find opportunity to get out. But what's not okay? To not do anything. In a preparation phase, it's okay to want to get out. It's okay to seek opportunity to get out and see God moving. But what's not okay is to sit there and do nothing. The chief baker saw that Joseph had given the, given the first dream such a positive interpretation. He said to Joseph, I had a dream too. You know, he's like, oh good, this one's good. I was so excited. Here's, here, Joseph, 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 here's my dream. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries uh, stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh would lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds would come and peck away at your flesh. Right? Like, he was like, ready. Like, oh, this guy's getting out of here. And oh! Why? Joseph didn't have tact. He just said it like it was. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. Then he restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could, again, hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forget, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. I mean, I read that and go, how on earth, right? The dude just predicted what's going to happen in three days. And on the fourth day, you're like, who's that guy? Another way God prepared Joseph was that people forgot him. Maybe we've been there. You were in line for the promotion. You worked hard for the promotion, but Bozo got it, right? She's taking who to homecoming and not me? And you got looked over on the team when you thought you would make it and you knew you were better than the coach's son or daughter. We've all been forgotten at some point in time or another. But God's preparing us for Him to move. What they told us when starting in 2007, when we started this church planting journey, they said, you know what? Suffering will come. Things will happen. Be prepared for it. Be ready for it. 
And you, you don't dismiss that. We didn't dismiss that. We knew that. But, you know, things happen. We, we've had all, every one of these three happen to us in, in the six years since we went there. Now, I know Jack's behind my back all the time talking about me right now. So, you know, that's one of them. Just joking, just joking. But one thing that I've noticed when I've looked out across the landscape of church planting and, and just work in general, people who, who are living this out, whether it be in, in, the, in the ministry or something, what we would quote-unquote call secular, is that the people who suffer the most have the most potential for God to move. The people that suffer the most have the most potential for God to move in their life. But the key is, is that they have to show up every morning to work. They have to show up every morning to prepare themselves. They have to show up every morning to sacrifice and be ready for when God does want to move. If we give up, then God can't move. God prepared, I believe that God prepared us for Crosspoint. And there's a story in, in that and, 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 and of, of, of you guys kind of bunkering in and ready for a long, uh, long break. But I, I was the one that was being prepared for 18 months to come here and not you all being prepared for 18 months to find a pastor. And that was vital. I mean, I don't think I wanted to say anything that, that nobody that was around would dispute. I mean, y'all couldn't have waited 18 months. Crosspoint wouldn't be here short of a miracle of God without that happening. I'm not the Savior. God is. God is. God used ordinary events in an extraordinary way. Me seeing a posting emailing Randy, emailing another guy about Crosspoint, that guy preaching here that weekend, saying, hey, you need to look at this guy. Lo and behold, I had already emailed. Thursday to Tuesday, I was sitting down talking with Randy. Ordinary, string of ordinary events in an extraordinary way. But I think God is still having us in the preparation phase to see non-fans stream to God. To see the dream that, that when Crosspoint started out five years ago, to see that happen. And we are in a preparation phase. And what do we do in a preparation phase? We work, we sacrifice, and we prepare ourselves to be ready for when God moves. This is what Mission 2014 is all about. I started a church. One of the things, or wanted to start a church, and one of the things that I wanted to see was, was, was a people who were prepared financially so that when God moved, we're like, where's the money going to come from? Where's the money going to come from? And so Mission 2014 is about being prepared financially so that when God moves about land, we're ready to go. And when God does something and tells us to go to the nations, to an unreached people group here in America, we're ready to go because we have money to do it. And when he tells us serve republic in this way, we're ready to do it because we've got money set aside. Because guess what? Ministry takes money. If we're waiting for God to give us land, we'll die in the process. Here's how I think God's going to move here. A bunch of ordinary things happening in an extraordinary way. He's done that in our life. We've waited for that check to get us out of debt for seven years. But unless you're going to send it next week, it ain't going to happen. Just a bunch of ordinary decisions, ordinary things, ordinary discussions, all lined up, ready for God to go extraordinary right here. 
and we're ready for it. Why? Because we've sacrificed and worked and prepared ourselves for that day. I've dreamed about a church that reads the Bible and goes, we're going to do it because the Bible says. Dream about a church that just follows Jesus. Dream about a church that, that, that when we gather, it's not about us sitting on our derrieres. It's about us putting this together for people who don't know God so that they can follow Jesus. A church that's ready to go on mission. A church that's seeking out God's purpose for their lives as individuals and as a corporate body. And I dream about a church who all the people isn't about coming and showing up and watching a couple of guys live out their dream, that they are living the dream when they show up. God has initiated something in every one of our hearts and the overlap of that in all of our lives is called Crosspoint Fellowship. It's not an organization. It's not an entity. It's a group of people that in the overlap, we are working and preparing and sacrificing for those yet to be saved. When Joseph looked back over his life in, in Genesis 30, uh, 50, 20, this is our memory verse for this series. Joseph said, hey, look, you meant it for evil when he was talking to your brother, but God meant it for good. He put me in this position to save many lives. God calls us to work and prepare and to sacrifice as saved people now, as fans now, to save the non-fans who don't even know that they want to be fans. And one of the ways we do that is through building. Look, we're in America. We're not in Africa where a tree works. In America, trees are only good for one thing, and they involve dogs and legs. All right? Trees don't work for church here. Buildings do. We have to have a gathering place. We've talked about this. We're limited here. We're limited financially. Our overhead's high. We're limited seat-wise. This building keeps us limited leadership-wise and role-wise. Some of you want to get in, but you don't know where and serve and don't know where because this, this, this facility limits us in that way. So what do we do? We prepare. I took some pictures this week. The first one up there. You know what I see? I see land. I see apartments. I see condos. I see houses. I see future businesses. And the last picture, that one, that's a new business. And that one is designated for a big box store. I see the next wave of republic. But in those pictures, I also see people who are having financial issues, marital issues, relational issues. They're cutting themselves. They have, they have eating disorders. They, they, they don't know where the next check's going to come from. They don't know where to go next. And most of all, they don't know Jesus. And even though we're just around the corner from this spot, we're facing a train. But if we were there, every day, every week, we would look out and look at the people. And we'd be reminded about those who don't know Jesus yet. Trains can't know Jesus. You can write that down. People can't and are supposed to. Mission 2014, yes, is a commitment to give money. But it's bigger than that. It's a commitment to sacrifice and work and prepare to be ready. I don't know when God is going to move, if he's going to move on that land I was standing on or a different piece of land. But here's what I do know. He will move. 
And will we be prepared for it? Or will he move and have to pass us by because we're not? Like we're just a small little church. Some of you listened to a guy by the name of Perry Noble in New Spring. I heard him kind of offhand say a few weeks ago in one of his sermons that when they were about 50 or 55 core of people, they gave about twenty to $30,000 in order for them to go to their next step. That sounds familiar. Because to obtain the land that I was standing on, it would take about twenty dollars to $30,000 in a down payment. And how churches work is this. Those who currently consider themselves a part of a church work, prepare, and sacrifice for those who are not a part yet. That's how it works. And so I'm asking all of us to pray about our involvement. Our involvement. How are we going to prepare, work, and sacrifice to get us to the next step? Because the next step requires all three. One-time gift or, or a recurring gift. Nicole and myself, we're praying about the same thing. What does that look like for our lives? Because we're in this together. But also, 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 what's your piece of the puzzle? What has God initiated inside of you? What's your piece of the puzzle that's burning in you, that God put in you, that God's trying to fan in you? What's your piece of the puzzle? Because all we want is a group of people together, working, preparing, and sacrificing, ready for God to move. As the band plays, that's the question. What is my piece of the puzzle? Has God wired me? Designed me? What's my piece of the puzzle? What's my piece of the puzzle financially? Five dollars? That's Maybe your piece of the puzzle. What's your piece of the puzzle? What is it? So that we can move to the next step. Not because we do it, but because God moves in us and through us and around us to prepare us for Him to move. What is your piece of the puzzle? What is my piece of the puzzle? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for this story. It's, it's amazing. Uh, this part of it's long. I just pray, Lord, that you ignite something that's inside of us that burns into a flame seeing you move. You've prepared us. You are preparing us. We're still in that phase. We know you're going to move. What are we going to do to be ready? Lord, we thank you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can stand, myself and Shelly. We're going to be in the back of the room. If you need to talk with us, pray about you know, what God has ignited inside of you, we want to talk to you about it and, and help you out with that. But remember the question. What is my peace? of this puzzle. Go ahead and stand.